Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. All right, welcome into Off the Radar here on 365 Sports, uh, usually around 445 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it is a Tuesday, a little bit later, because we were having the conversation with Mac Rhodes and then talking about it afterwards. But I uh, got a little grab bag of stuff here. do want to start off by making mention of the fact that uh, there is that uh, hearing going on right now uh, with Washington and uh, the rest of the Pac-12, soon-to-be ex-Pac-12 schools, the 10 of those schools, but Washington's sort of the head of it since that's where the lawsuit is. Uh, and then, obviously, the other side being Washington State and Oregon State uh, arguing over, you know, control and uh, what assets the current Pac-12 uh, should uh, have and how that should be separated moving forward. And, and basically, at the basis of this is how much do Oregon State and Washington State control? And uh, once you kind of know that, you can kind of know what they might end up trying to do as far as pivoting and moving towards the future. But having that all uncertain right now is not allowing them to schedule for games next year even, even though they've got a few that they can kind of say like, oh, we had our non-cons and we could play each other and maybe there's this and that. But a lot in limbo, um, the college football playoff and and how all that's going to work moving forward as far as the Pac-12, how is that viewed in terms of the the uh, you know the conferences, um, all of that uh, is is mysterious at the moment because there is this little bit of business unsettled. So uh, nothing to report from it because they're still arguing and they're going back and forth. I guess outside of the fact that everybody apparently following along and watching this live uh, court hearing are reporting back that the Pac-12's argument really has no legs to stand on, and uh, they did not come well equipped to argue. Um, but what's also known from this is that regardless of what happens today. Uh, there is likely to be an appeal. Um, so this could go on a bit longer, um, but we are waiting on something to be handed down from the judge, uh, hopefully here before we uh, end, I would imagine so, with another hour to go. Uh, but, yeah, that is ongoing right now, uh, the arguments for control of the Pac-12's assets uh, in a courtroom right now in Washington. So we'll update you on that as best we can today, and then uh, certainly we'll have something to talk about, uh, you would think, tomorrow one way or the other. Uh, meanwhile, uh, do you all have any thoughts on that, just the, the whole battle? I mean, I, I think they should get some money, but I don't think that they'll be able to get everything that they – they're going to get some of what they want, but they're, not, so, yeah. but they're not going to get all of a what they want. trillion dollars. Yeah, they're not going to get the whole, like – we have everything we've won. Like there, there's going to be some, some give and take there. Now, most of this is really like, I don't think Oregon state and Washington state are under the delusion that like they're going to win this lawsuit. And then one of the, the remaining conferences is going to call them and be well, like, now you have who, who's Kirk Schultz, the president. The pres- of, uh, yeah. Uh, he was under the illusion. The PAC 12 was going to be just fine for a long, long time. No, I mean, I think now that reality is kind of hit them in the face. Like, I don't think that being positive yeah, and I, thinking that way, but, but I do think that they're going to wind up with a nice little a check here that they can, they can use in the, in the future and then they can move on. But uh, yeah, it's not going to be 
it might help them weather the storm of being in a, in a conference like the Mountain West, whose television contract is going to be way lower than they're used to. So they might be able to navigate that for a couple of years and put together a schedule, like whatever they, they need to do. But um, ultimately, like they need to get this done so they can just go ahead and join a conference and yeah. get a schedule because if they don't, you know, you gotta you gotta do a lot of things over a six month period to get ready for a football season alone, mm-hmm. much less basketball and everything else you're losing. So yeah, and I saw Bob Thompson uh, going back and forth, had some comments on it, and uh, I guess the one thing that this was the part that was puzzling to me as well is at least initially when a lot of the scuttlebutt was, was like, well, control of the network, and it's like, well, what's the network even going to be? I mean. That was uh that was something that I don't feel like was as maybe prized. I don't know, maybe sell off the equipment and you get money for that, but you know, as far as you know what that what that was, um, that's not something that networks or or, or uh, cable companies are forced to air. So you, there's no like automatic like you get that and you're yeah. I don't, there's a lot to sort through with the the network, with the equipment, with the money that's owed, the uh, tournament. Uh, you know, uh, payouts and, and all that kind of deal. And there are hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. So that is ongoing right now. And again, we'll get that to you as soon as there is something finalized there, hopefully uh, before the end of the day today. Uh, meanwhile, week 11 college football ratings came out. I usually just kind of take a look at the top five here, uh, but the number one most watched game, not a big shocker here, 9.16 million viewers for Michigan and Penn state. Uh, the, you Big, wonder if Connor Stallions was a part of Yeah, <laughs> well, nearly everybody else was apparently yeah. here. Uh, but, yeah, that noon window, uh, Michigan and Penn State on Fox, 9.16 million viewers. Um, that is uh, the uh, – that's the first uh, – I guess the latest college football game, the sixth largest uh, – or the latest of top 9 million, but the sixth largest audience – of the season so yeah a big number there and a huge drop off to number two but also a fox broadcast utah and washington uh, which is a 330 kickoff 5.17 million people so that back-to-back for fox man that's nearly 15 million people watching your back-to-back football games not a bad deal there uh, between michigan penn state and utah washington yeah that's a that's a nice little swing uh right there and um I mean, the number was always gonna, always going to be huge for Michigan and Penn State, but I do think there's probably a little bit of hate Is watching there in there. To that? Yeah, a little bit of like, oh, how are they going to do? Is you know and. Um, you know, this is the first time it's going to be. It was going to be interesting to watch Michigan at all. You know, like they're mm-hmm. challenged. You know, not that if you're not a fan or you want to watch just a good team play because they are a re- really good team, but a Michigan game can get boring in a hurry. Yes, you know because. It's thirty-one to nothing at halftime. You're like, well, they don't even have to throw a pass anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really do have to hand off. They could just yeah. take snaps and fall forward um, for the rest of the time. They're going to win this game. So uh, this one was at least until the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. You know, at least where Penn State, if they could have, you know, mustered a big couple of plays, been right back in the game. But you know, after the, you know, about the eight minute mark in the third quarter, you thought, ah, I think Michigan's got this. Well, they uh, definitely think they had some hate watching going on. So, yeah, 9.16 there, 5.17, the second most watched Utah-Washington. That was back-to-back on Fox. And then uh, ESPN had Ole Miss and Georgia, 4.83 million for that one. Miami FSU, 4.14 million over on ABC. And then Tennessee-Missouri, the fifth most watched game, 3.62 million over on CBS. Uh, had 3.57 for Michigan State, Ohio State, 3 million for USC and Oregon. Uh, over on Fox. So, again, another big 
big weekend for Fox, but uh, just spread out. And, and the Big Ten, you can obviously see why they got the big TV contract with the big brands and all that, but the big audiences too. Uh, you know, especially that Michigan-Penn State game. That's a monster number, nearly scratching $10 million. Uh, Top game in the Big 12. And this is something, man, when you talk about the Big 12 and their TV ratings and whatnot moving forward, when you subtract Texas and Oklahoma – you know, you wonder where a lot of the numbers are going to come from, but Texas and TCU, the top-watched game in the Big 12, 2.82 million people tuned in for that one. I think every Texas game, like you started. it was a night game, right? Uh, yeah, it was yeah, 730. Good, yeah. 282 for that one, so not a giant number by any means, still top 10-ish. Uh, but then Bama, Kentucky at 276, but then West Virginia, Oklahoma, 239 million. So you have to go to Oklahoma State and UCF, which would be like top 15-ish for the top – New Big 12 number, and that was a little over 1 million, 1.21 million. Iowa State, BYU had like 943K. Tech and Kansas had 780K. So that is something to to be mindful of when you look at the TV ratings moving forward. It's also always interesting to see at the bottom of like certain games uh, broadcast on uh, ESPNU in particular, uh, like Rice UTSA, 22,000 people. 22,000 people tuned into that one. So just a huge uh, difference, and you see in the in the brands right there. But, yeah, a little look at the uh, ratings. What? And uh, I wonder who the, the Big 12, you know, the the, the ones with the, uh, the the lead are going to be as far as the TV ratings yeah. go moving forward. Well, first of all, who was playing against Texas and uh, TCU? Because that seemed like a little bit Michigan of a Michigan State, lower. Ohio State. Well, there you go. Yes. Uh, Ohio State. And Virginia, seven. Louisville. Yeah, okay. So yeah. that was a pretty jam-packed window. I, I think um, – and West Virginia OU, technically. It started a half hour earlier, but that yeah. was also ongoing. Uh, um, I, I think that I speak for all of us in the ACC that are trying to leave uh, in that Florida State and Miami, Miami get better so that number can go up. Yeah, right? 4.4 <laughs> yeah. 4 is good. Like, that you, that game, back in the, like, if you took the 90s games of that and put it now, that game would be getting 12 million people. It was that, like, important yeah. of a game. And now it's just... A third of probably what it should be. Yeah, but, I mean, it's fair, as he points out, you know, the other games that are ongoing and um, how that matters. So, that Florida State-Miami game, it gets over $4 million, which that's healthy. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, baseline for, like, Texas and Oklahoma is, like, a little over two. Yeah. You know, you'd say that's kind of the start. And Michigan as well. You know, it's pro- Michigan's probably, like, three, actually. I would think, yeah, base, Texas OU close to two and a half, three baseline. Baseline, And they're yeah. going to get into the six to eight, depending on who they're playing. And Michigan yeah. probably more like three to four. And yeah. that's why it will be fascinating to see the SEC ratings next year when you have, like, Texas LSU as just a week four game or, you know, or week five game or Oklahoma, Georgia, week nine or whatever it may be. That's going to be some pretty massive numbers. But, yeah, Florida State, Miami, that was going up, Paul, against Utah, Washington. Yeah. Um, Tennessee, Missouri was also on at that time. Oklahoma State, UCF, uh, that had over a million and so on and so forth. But, yeah, Michigan, Penn State, the top uh, getter by nearly double, uh, 9.16 million there. All right, a uh, couple of other notes. Uh, Monday Night Football last night, did either one of you guys watch that game as the uh, I gotta tell Buffalo you, Bills continue to they're, uh, they're ride the mess. struggle bus? They're a mess. It's almost as if Josh Allen feels like every play has to be a 40-yard or a touchdown, either by running the ball or passing the ball. He's thrown a lot of picks lately. They are a mess, and they had a horrible pass interference call. It was, and that killed them. Uh, horrible they, as in they shouldn't have done it. And, yeah. It was yeah, a legit they, call. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden, who are they playing? Denver, who's won like three in a row somehow. Russell Wilson with his best game of the year. They missed the field goal, 
But there's too many men on the field, and they get to yeah. kick it again. Yeah, there's, yeah, Sean McDermott's got some problems there. Uh, I saw that's a good a good portion of it when I was out. I uh, went to Shorty's new uh, location last night in Hewitt, by the way. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, but the, um, I was watching some of it there. But, yeah, it, it, like the Bills, you know, for a team that had Super Bowl expectations and dreams, like that's not over, obviously. Like they can always get better, but they – They've got to. They've got to change some things. I suspect I know what story you're about to report, though, Craig. Yes, and that is that after another struggle by the Buffalo offense and the fact that they're now five and five and uh, really just did not look good offensively yesterday. Um, and as my sister, who has Josh Allen as the fantasy quarterback, can probably oh, attest, she's so excited about him. He's done like little to nothing compared to what she thought when she uh, drafted him. And Buffalo really did find, like, the, you mentioned the too many men on the field during the field goal miss and all that, just crazy. Ten, but uh, players, they yeah. have fired offensive coordinator and former Miami quarterback great Ken Dorsey. He is out the door in Buffalo as their offensive coordinator. So that move made today at the interim, Joe Brady. Is that a oh. name that you guys remember hearing all that often? Yep. Yeah, Garrett uh, doesn't miss Joe Brady. You talk about sure going from one of the hottest names in college football to a hot name in the NFL, and then like, oh, yeah. I forgot about Joe Brady. So yeah, so he's in he's in Buffalo now, and he is now the interim offensive coordinator uh, yeah. for the Bills. I think part of it was Joe Brady was Joe Brady was a cool part of that story, but it was the other Joe that yeah, was for sure. <laughs> that was the sure. that was really no. like uh, <laughs> you mean yeah. Burrow? <laughs> yeah, that was that like oh he did such a good job with Joe Burrow. Yeah, he did, but also Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. I mean, like yeah. he's he's turned into something quite amazing. I. I think um, it's probably the right thing. Uh, Ken Dorsey, the um, and I say this with the most respect in the world, the worst player on the best college football team ever, and he was the Heisman Trophy candidate yeah, uh, off of it. Sure. Um, and he, he was still a really good college quarterback. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that. But, again, he that team was so good. He was he could real throw underhand. Um, but, the um, you know, and I'm sure he'll get another. Like, I don't know if it's all Ken Dorsey because last year Ken Dorsey was all the rage. And then – Part of it is sometimes you do have to keep ahead of everybody else because when you're innovative, that's great. But if the other coaches, all it takes is one coach to have the film to, you know, make you not innovative anymore. And then, then everybody else copies it. So they can't do this. They can't do this. They can't do this. We're going to make sure we exploit. They've got a weakness here and they exploit it. And if you don't coach around those things or adapt to them, then you wind up five and five like the bills are right now. I think that's where Ken Dorsey is. Everybody, he was great last year and everybody, and then everybody kind of caught up to him and they have Super Bowl aspirations, and they can't stay in neutral like they have been in offense, which is supposed to be the strength of their team. Yeah, next will be the head coach, right? Yeah. I mean, if they, if they continue to struggle. So, yeah, you had to do something. So, yeah, Joe Brady, that's a name familiar to a lot of college football fans. Uh, he is now the interim uh, offensive coordinator there for the Buffalo Bills, so he'll be in charge of uh, Josh Allen and all that comes with that. Uh, meanwhile, just one or two more notes here. Uh, Leighton Van Der Escher, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he is done for the season. Uh, thanks to a neck injury. Um, but the biggest part, I guess, of the story came from uh, GM owner Jerry Jones, who was making his weekly radio appearance up in Dallas with the fan and said, um, you know, that not only is his season over, uh, but that he's an integral part of the defense and they wish him well, but that because of the nature of the injury, uh, he is wondering now um, about the long term and beyond what it means just for, like, the next game or the next, you know, when am I going to come back? Um, that, you know, now this all has everything to do 
with what in, is in Van Der Esch's best interest. And basically, Jerry's saying uh, that he's not so sure that his career's not over now at this point. So, very unfortunate news when you start talking about, you know, severe neck injuries and, and the fact that those could be career enders. But Jerry Jones throwing out there on his radio show. And at this point, I mean, that guy's been through so much, that would not come as a surprise. No, it wouldn't. And uh, Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, I've got to interview him uh, many times early in his career. Um, I think, Smokey, you and I talked to him at, at a camp one time. Uh, uh, like, absolutely an awesome guy to have in your team. A guy, uh, really, uh, they're going to miss Leighton Van Der Esch. Like, he... He had a little, like some ups and downs at a certain point in his career, but he's been very consistent for them. And last year played really well, was playing early, well early on in this year before he got hurt. And I hate that. I hate that for him. Uh, I think Leighton Van Der Esch is going to wind up being a um, one heck of a football coach one day uh, if he wants to do that or whatever he wants to do. But if he wanted to go the coaching route, um, he seems to kind of have that that knack about him. So yeah, that's that's a that's a real real bummer and. You don't just replace a, a tackling machine like that on your roster. The Cowboys signed Rashawn Evans a few weeks ago. He made his first start last week. They've got Damone Clark out there. Uh, they they lost, um, you know, the the guy from Texas whose whose name escapes me. Overshone. Overshone in the in the preseason who they really liked, and you know, hopefully he can bounce back. But yeah, that's that's going to be. Uh, They've been playing without him. Yeah. They've been playing without him. I hate it for he's a good dude, and, and you know, he, early on he had that really good first year. And then he, everyone thought he was kind of a second a year, bust, like a yeah. bust. But he's really inside, man. He's done a really nice job for them. He really has. And yeah. I hate it for him. So, he hate any time a person's career. But the next time he hurts his neck, neck, you never know. It might be it might be more than worrying about walking than playing football. Yeah, so he got hurt uh, earlier uh, in October and uh, when they were playing the 49ers and was – you know, eligible to start getting off injured reserve, but then he was still having lingering symptoms, so they shut him down. And, yeah, now there's talk about, like, this could be it. He's only 27 years old, uh, so he's got a lot of a future ahead of him. Uh, but final note here, um, this was from a couple of days ago, but uh, TCU got a little social media boost. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Haley Cavender of the Cavender Twins. I'm not big on TikTok and all of that, but uh, they are very popular. Uh, that duo, they were at Miami uh, last year, then announced that uh, I guess they were done playing basketball, but uh, Haley Cavender, uh, I guess, had second thoughts and felt that uh, weren't going to get the, the most out of the, the competitive part of her and, and felt like the basketball side wasn't quite over for her. So uh, they're not a package deal anymore, but Haley Cavender did announce that she is going to use her fifth year and final year of eligibility and play at TCU. And uh, hashtag committed the last rodeo and had a picture of her in the, the TCU uniform. So I say that because Paul's obviously the women's basketball expert, but obviously as well, um, that's just a big social media get mm-hmm. for TCU that you'll, you know, like Olivia Dunn or any other number of, of social media stars, uh, TCU uh, here in the Big 12 getting uh, one of the more popular college athletics personalities uh, out there. So there you go with that. There's a few things off the radar. All right, there's a lot off the radar. We appreciate that. John McClain, Hall of Fame columnist around the corner. I want to make sure – that I've gotten to everything. Here's a couple of media blitz notes from that email that I get every single week. Missouri running back Cody Schrader is the 10th player in FBS history with 200 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving in a game. He's the third player to do it versus an AP-ranked opponent. Devin Neal last year against Oklahoma State for Kansas and Christian McCaffrey in 2015 against USC. Marvin Harrison recorded his 28th and 29th career touchdown versus Michigan State, fourth most in Ohio State history. Olave, David Boston, and Devin Smith have 30 or more. 
Um, let's see. He is also the first player in Ohio State history with multiple seasons of 1,000 receiving yards, which is hard to believe because they've had so many great receivers, but some of them have moved on pretty quickly. And getting 1,000 yards receiving is not easy. So well, there yeah, is that with uh, – and I have one more note, but go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just like I wonder, and I, I'm sure there's like a spreadsheet that shows it, but – you finally get your turn because they're so loaded at wide receiver, and then you have your big year, and then you're like, all right, off to the NFL, and the next guy comes up, you know what I mean? And then he gets his big year, and then he's off to the NFL. So, yeah, and I guess uh, uh, it's kind of in short bursts, but, uh, you, yeah, you would think that that would have would have maybe not been the case before. Yeah. Uh, by the way, and I'm um, – per Bruin Report – UCLA? The, yeah. Yeah. The 24-7 uh, UCLA site, um, they are reporting that, that – uh, Chip Kelly is likely be going to be fired uh, after the USC game, um, at which if they're going to – I guess they're just trying to get through the week uh, since it's already Tuesday. But um, he is 33-33 and 33, uh, in six years uh, or whatever it is at the uh, – yeah, six years as the head coach at uh, UCLA. And, you know um, – Yeah, they really uh, started you, off hot this year yeah, as far as a name. And, and then – well, look, last year, like they had a, you know, had a really good, good year, really good year, and uh, they were, you know, there was a lot of buzz about him. But you know, all it takes is a is a year because it looked like he'd finally maybe gone on the upswing. Yep. Um, I think Chip is a little bit cantankerous, so when you have the, I think that that when you run into the hard times and you've got a nice guy coach, like sometimes you can be like, all right, well, he's going to figure it out. Like I, I can deal with him. But when you run into some, you know, like they're you know, on a downtrend and they're going to the big 10 and you got to think about all those things. And the guy's kind of like, you know, cantankerous. It, maybe you go like, look, all right. Would you describe me? A cantankerous? Or is that not high enough? Uh, no, you can be cantankerous. All right. Uh, Utah, they lost to top 10, 15 team at the time, Oregon state. And the, the Arizona surging the last month or so has kicked a few people down the road further than they thought. And then, of course they just lost to Arizona state who's a very uh, an average at best team. Uh, the Arizona schools have had kind of a nice little decent run. Arizona State's got a kid named Fight, played at Tatum High School in East Texas, got to know the family. Arizona State's not very good. Uh, they're, they're not very yeah. good. Um, they got a long way to go there. And that was a game at UCLA, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've like, fought, um, mm-hmm. but they're they're not very good right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, like no, they're no, they're no. scrappy, but they're not they're able not to win gimme. games. <laughs> they're yeah. not a gimme. The, the biggest news that happened there was – that they that they fired the, 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 the AD, yeah, yeah or that he retired well, or whatever, yeah, whatever he did. So it's another thing about UCLA, their biggest win has been against Washington State, who at the time was 13th in the country, and they're dead last with Colorado in the Pac-12. Wazoo's so. completely fallen off a cliff, which I hate that because Cam Ward's such a fun player. But yeah, they they yeah. went from like, hey, them and Oregon State are going to be disruptive, and yeah. now it's like they fell they may off not to make the, a bowl. Yeah, so. they, they fell off to the wayside. But uh, Arizona, I mean, Arizona State's been dealt some blows, and, and they're still very much trying to build that thing up. But uh, they've had some some moments of, like, a little peak and, like, okay, that, that looks good. But um, Arizona's been a, a huge surprise. I mean, with J- they're, they're talking now about, like, we got to redo Jed Fish's contract in I light of the coaching cares. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, they got to start working on his contract now. So that that's how quickly that thing has, uh, has now turned for the better. And that bodes really well for them moving into the Big 12 next year. Uh, we'll see as far as the Sun Devils oh, go. Oh, great. But, Another really good team entering the But, I mean, Big Utah, yeah. we know what that is. Uh, Colorado, I mean, if anything, it's going to be interesting. And then uh, Arizona is looking like they'll be pretty well set up. And, you know, then Arizona State, we'll see what they can do in I the like offseason. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, that, that's actually looking better than – and when all that was going on, you're like, well, Colorado stinks. Dion's not going to do anything. Arizona schools suck. 
uh, and so on. Utah is the only good one. It's like, well, not necessarily based on the way it's tracking right now. Yeah. By the way, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want to ask you guys your opinion on this. Gary and I talked about this earlier. Uh, it was in regard to Urban Meyer, but I think it kind of also applies to Chip Kelly. I think the era of the dictator coaches is winding to an end. And that's why, like, okay, look, if A&M hires Urban Meyer, he can probably win there pretty quick, but he's going to be gone in three or four years anyway because that's, that's he's, his he's Larry Brown, yeah. you know, like, but not as friendly. Um, but, the, like, he, is, he rules with he, the, he is at a bar. He, he, he rules with an iron fist, right? And I think that there's a way that, like, Nick Saban, for all you want to say about him, is not a dictator, right? He's, he's oh. stern, but he's benevolent. Well, listen to Phil Bennett talk about him. Yeah, he's yeah. – he, he know like he knows how to he knows how to move everything around. He has and his finger on everything within with, that with everything program. that's changing. I think the Chip Kellys and Urban Myers of the world are going to have a harder time because things are different because you have to be you know more flexible to different things now because before the power was completely in the coach's hands. You know, you can't, you have to sit out a year if you transfer. You have to, you know, you can't get any money. You can't do these things. Or you can bench a player and now now, Saban can, but if you do it now, they're probably going to transfer. But now because of the the freedom that the players have, you you have to, you you cannot treat them like a dictator anymore. Like you you have to be flexible in the way you are. And I think inflexibility is is what's going to get a lot of like Jimbo Fisher, not inflexible with his players. I think the players actually do like him, but he was stubborn and stubbornness got him fired. By the way, I didn't want to make a note about Arizona. If you don't five consecutive games, they played time teams ranked in the top 20 five times, Washington, USC, they lost. And those were close games. And then Washington state, Oregon state and UCLA five consecutive games against ranked teams and they are now on a four-game winning streak. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really uh, turning into something. So, again, I think uh, with them in Utah and then Colorado's obviously very interesting. We'll see what, what Arizona State does this offseason. But, yeah, that's shaping up to be a, a much better entrance competitively for those four than maybe originally thought when you sort of expected it would only be Utah that would come in and, and really tussle from the get-go or, you know, be a really good team from, from the outset. That There should be maybe three of those four. Uh, will be pretty solid heading in because you know that Colorado's going to revamp and regroup and, you know, hit that portal, and everybody else will too, of course. But uh, that's uh, that's going to be be really interesting. And I just think the UCLA thing is um, you've just seen enough at this point in time, right? Like he's been around long enough, and it's just not going the direction that you expect at this point. Now, are you going to go find somebody else that's going to be almost a guaranteed like 8-4 and four every year? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, and now moving into the Big Ten, you know, maybe that has something to do with it as well as that Chip's been around a, a good long while at this point, and it's kind of been the sort of same thing. It did, granted, start turn for the better here over the last three years or so, but uh, you are sitting at six and four, or no, at three and four, uh, six and four right now, three and four in the Pac-12, and that's not going to cut it, obviously. You know, the Pac-12 to go out with already, you're under 500 with two weeks to go. That's not why you hired Chip Kelly. So that's something that started to go south compared to recent years, and I can see where that was sort of like, okay, we better, if we're going to do something, it's probably time right. to do something. How many of these firings, because A&M was first, right? How many of, okay, thank you A&M for clearing the air, now let's go. How many of these are in reaction to Texas A&M? Not because of coaches that might go there or what, but now the arms race well, is uh, on. It feels – there's, do, there's going to be more. Yeah, it does feel like to me – you ever finish a test or a quiz in school, but you don't want to be the first one to turn it in because you don't want the teacher to give you that look of like, 
Are you sure? Are you sure? So you sit there knowing that you're not going to change anything, pretend like you're doing something, and then wait for somebody else to go put their their quiz on the thing, and then you count to 10 and go up there and do it yourself um, because you think you're fooling everybody. That's, I think, this is kind of how it is. Like, you know, is this the time to do it? Can we, because part of it is also like, maybe we can navigate it towards the end a little bit better because there's not going to be any big jobs open, but as soon as the first big one comes open, then you've got to, You've got to really react. Yeah, uh, I mean, now there's well, yeah, Michigan State, uh, Northwestern that were kind of already, you know, assumed to be open jobs earlier in the season, and then yeah, here in just the last week now, you've had uh, UCLA looks like they'll be joining um, the fray, and um, you know that's uh, yeah, I think you, I don't know, I think the quicker you start, yeah, maybe you feel like you get a little bit of a head start on the others, but um, yeah, I, I don't know how much others like impacted the decision to fire Chip Kelly. I think I, that might have been coming anyways, but, but yeah, it, it it's, sort of it's forces the even, timeline. It doesn't well, have to the like, Big Ten. Yeah. yeah. You finishing your test and me finishing my test doesn't have any uh, – like, the only thing I'm afraid of is I don't want to be the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, that's what I – like, oh, I don't want to be the one that's seen like, so, oh, did you do this? Well, now it's like, well, everybody else is doing it. So well, Mike Bean, those coaches were eradicated from college basketball about a decade ago talking about the – the ones who, uh, you know, handle things well, with like an iron you, fist. But you saw the, t- the talk the about that, Bobby Knight where it was, like, very split over yeah. the type of guy he was. It was like, yeah, he was a great coach, but, but he would not fly in this day and age. Yeah. Well, you know? what's the guy from Syracuse who just resigned? Jim, Jim Beheim. Yeah. Uh, Jim Calhoun. I'm not sure. No, he was a pretty – I said it in the chat room. I said Calhoun. Jim Beheim is an example of that. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Paxton, is Baylor next? Uh, it, it, you know, I still it say no appear. right now, but it, – It's not – I, I don't know. I still say, if I had to put money on it right now, and I'm not saying this with any sort of insight other than just reading the tea leaves and all that, I still say, like, I lean no, but I feel like if you go out and you get beat the way you got beat last weekend by TCU and Fort Worth, I feel like there's just there's only so many things you can kind of stay down. That would be like, okay, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be at best three I, and nine. You just lost to another rival in the Big 12 big uh you know score wise potentially if that's what happens so i feel like the the last two results are going to kind of play especially yeah. this weekend i feel like that plays into this overall that's just me though well, I, I do think yeah. this is that I, I it doesn't mean the decision hasn't been made right and you wonder also even though you have to be very careful of this if in fact it's the decision that a lot of people seem to want um you wonder if the person involved uh the relationship involved even though there's a lot of frustration if that is also not in play here um, because of uh, Aranda being loyal by signing the extension, getting a lot of money, having the best year, if that might be delaying this for another week or two. Loyalty? Well, no, I think it's a, a hope. Aranda's okay. not a dick. I think it's, no, I think, yeah, but I think it's a hope. Oh, it's not easy to fire him. Yeah, it's not easy, saying. but okay, it's also yeah. a hope yeah. that, like, you can fi- like he still can get it you right. You can yeah. find because all point all signs say the, no, but I just I think yeah. that look you UCLA firing Chip Kelly like oh what if Chip Kelly look he's had a run everywhere else this is this is a good shot that this is Chip Kelly's last P five job like you know he he's kind of you know maybe he he talks his way into another one but it, his time has maybe come. Uh, and but for Dave Aranda, Dave Aranda is a young coach. He's he's got his skin on the wall in a conference title. He's a national championship defensive coordinator. The fear for Mac Rhodes and the Baylor administration is they are going to fire Dave Aranda, and seven years from now he's going to win a national title somewhere else. And they're going to be like, well, if we had only given him what 
this school gave him, yeah. then we would have won. I, it, we, you know, yeah, I think they've given him just about everything yeah. except for maybe the NIL piece. But you're also opening up the new indoor facility this mm-hmm. summer. Yep, the new bombs. Um, and so I, I do think that. I, I think this. I think in the case of a Chip Kelly, there was probably a lot of people at UCLA that already wanted him gone. They were happy to see this day come. I don't think there's really anybody happy to to want to see Dave Aranda go. They're like, they're, don't get me wrong. There's that message board element that like they still want freaking Art Briles back. So like, why care what they have to say about anything? But besides that, you know, I do think the majority of people want Dave Aranda to succeed. And I think when you hear Mac talking about this era and where Baylor is in comparison to the big dogs, um, he is what you need. You need a coach like him. You don't need the guy who's going to get the phone call first thing and then want to go and, and, and it doesn't really fit the mold. Like Dave Aranda fits what I think the ideal football coach and man is to lead the program, especially in this new era where they're not just going to be able to money whip recruits. They're going to have to have that relationship side of it. But does everybody have the patience or the, the faith like a Mac Rose does of, I know you can't see it right now, especially in the midst of this, but like give it another year and that's when it'll all click. And then boom, we're off to the races. But do you also, as that same coach that we've complimented uh, for all the things that he is, are they, do they understand? You would think they would, they're not stupid, but do they understand the talent they need to get to the next point? And bringing in and constructing the roster, which would be one of the questions I ask Aranda next Monday if I get that opportunity after TCU. All right, Brandon Lockridge. Rule number one of the Big 12 tiebreakers, any team leaving the conference loses in a tie. I like it. (laughs) I like it. Let's establish Uh, that right now. Jason Milam on uh, Jason Shear talking about uh, Jed Fish. In the middle of a $240 million budget crisis, lots of explaining to do after that fat extension he's going to get. Yikes. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's Arizona's issue, and I'll let Jason Shear deal with that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.